And welcome to this, the latest edition of ESSR Feature here on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet Network. I'm your host this week, Stephen Wilson, and this is the debut edition of one of our new feature shows. This is the Wrestling Mixtape. This is a show that we'll be running on a regular basis where all of our panellists will be involved in the show. We'll pick a match for the other panellists to watch, and we'll discuss those matches on this show on every edition of the Wrestling Mixtape. Some matches may be good, some matches may be less good, as you'll hear as we discuss these first four matches on this debut edition of this show. Uh, I'm joined for this particular show, firstly, by the man who's been described by many as the most reliable of his brotherly duo. But that's like saying, who's going to be the better Prime Minister between Liz Trust and Richie Sunak? They're both pretty shit. Scott McLeod, everyone. Yes, yes. I, I often call Ross the Liz Trust of our family. I believe I wrote it in his last 50 card. <laughs> but uh, yes, yes, thank you for that glorious introduction, Stephen. Not a problem, not a problem. Uh, we're also joined by a man who just a few days ago compared the Undisputed Era to Randy Savage. It is, of course, <laughs> David Hockney. Oh, listen, don't get me to repeat that line because, I mean, it was straight off the cuff. And, um, but to be fair, I mean, the context it was used in, it, it did kind of prove my point, but it's a little bit of an inside joke for those that don't know what I'm on about. Well, it's, not like to, joke it's not going to be an inside joke anymore because I need to tell Scott about it. And the listeners Get it tell. Get it tell. Essentially, Dave was wearing his Undisputed Era t shirt uh, as we went down to Bristol. Then to then go to Cardiff for Clash uh, last week. To which I joked to him, Dave, Undisputed Era is dead. His reply, so is Randy Savage, but people still talk about him. For fuck's sake, Dave. (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ. They're dead in different fucking ways, man. Yes, that's, I that mean, was my reply. But like, there was plenty of there. We saw a guy dressed in full blown Randy Savage hat, coat, streamers, the lot. Like, if that doesn't prove my point, I mean, there was I no one dressed as Adam Fucking Cole. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then again, it was uh, I. Did, I never said I compared Undisputed Era to Randy Savage. It was more just uh, it was a point of merch essentially. That was all. Yeah, uh, we were, usually we'd have a fourth member of this particular uh, squad. Uh, Chicago's favourite, well, he's our favourite from Chicago. He'd probably be many people's favourite from Chicago after the events <laughs> of the weekend. There's <laughs> uh, Chris Anthony Lopez, but unfortunately he was unable to make it short notice. But he will be here for future editions of Wrestling Mixtape alongside myself, Scott and Dave. But we'll still be talking about his match. So as I say, we've got four matches that we'll be discussing. Our panellists have all watched it uh, at various points since we all picked them out. Uh, I think, guys, we probably we should start with Chris's match, the one that he picked out. Uh, it is one that we've talked about at various points in past podcasts. It's the um, 
triple threat match from Unbreakable 2005 at TNA. You'll all know it just from that description, surely. It is AJ Styles versus Samoa Joe versus then X Division champion Christopher Daniels for said championship. Uh, Scott, I will go to you. You're probably the high man on this podcast of uh, TNA. I think you're one of the very few people I know that actually still watches TNA on a regular basis. But a lot of people started watching TNA when this particular match was happening. Yeah. I think that you said, uh, Stephen, when you just say the words unbreakable, like 2005, everybody thinks this match. I'm not entirely sure of the entire car. I'm sure there was some good stuff on that show. They had a solid roster in that time, but unfortunately the rest of the ro- the rest of the card has just been completely overshadowed by how spectacular this match is. Well, Dave will be pleased. Roddy Strong was in the match, you know, so. <laughs> oh, you know, Randy Savage wasn't, but Roddy Strong was. There we go. Uh, yeah, yeah, this is just going to be the new running joke, isn't it? The, you know, any mention of Undisputed Era is going to get a Randy Savage comparison against it. Let him go, baby. Well, I can't talk about your match then, Dave, if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that is true. That is true. Uh, so, Scott, I don't know if I'm definite you've watched this match before. Dave, I don't know if, if you've ever seen this one before we watched because me and you have yeah, yeah, I've watched it a couple of times actually. It was um, it's actually I think probably the main highlight of not just TNA as a whole, but the the X division, and because that was I think when we watched it back, it was this. It's matches like this that made the X division the the crown jewel in TNA's roster effectively. Yeah, there's the X division at this point was. Very, very hot. I mean, I've actually just looked at the card that went uh, went through that night. There was also Chris Saban versus Pete Williams. Austin Aries versus Roderick Strong, as I kind of mentioned there. They were kind of two examples of the undercard of the X Division. So when you've got three X Division matches, it shows how good this was. But you've got three guys here who were arguably, it's arguable, you know, people will argue about it. They probably will argue about it. But it's got this. three guys at the peak. I think it's fair to say. Mm. Yeah, because I know like it's been commented about particularly Joe and, and AJ on this uh, on the show before, you know, especially when they're feeding and, and WWE and going through those runs that, you know, as those guys got older, while they were still incredibly talented, you can tell that they'd slowed down maybe their offense a little bit from here because you, there are spots you forgot that they even did in the past when you see these, uh, when you watch this match back, like AJ's, like one of the spots that always stands in mind whenever I think of this match is the spot AJ does with like the springboard shooting star press to the outside. Mm. You don't see him also doing spots like that, and probably for, for good reason, but it just goes to show that, you know, even when these guys are like slowed down, they're still like through the absolute best in any promotion. Two definite standout spots for. Both kind of came up in that kind of area of the camera, like where the camera was. There was the one AJ did, as you mentioned, with the shooting star, and the one where Samoa Joe literally plows through the blooming ropes at a million mile an hour. Hmm. Yeah, they, man that size, running I, through the ropes at that pace must be like, oh shit. <laughs> I mean, Joe's had a very underrated performance here because, you know, as much as we can talk about aging Daniels, you know, doing flippy shit to the cows come home, you, you almost 
forget or almost don't appreciate like how big a star Samoa Joe was in TNA as well. Like the guy went undefeated for God knows how long. He was a submission machine, you know, like way after, you know, Kurt Angle was dubbed as the wrestling machine at the end of his first uh, WWE run. But, you know, Joe, you know, for a man his size, he's got incredible cardio and speed. You know, he's pulling off enziguris, as he said, he did the the charge over the top rope. And he's 20 stone, for crying out loud. I mean, I only know a handful of people that size, and they could barely, you know, jump off the ground, let alone run. So that's that really says something. I wouldn't really say he was underrated. I mean, especially at this particular time period, I mean... Mm-hmm. You look at the 2000s in wrestling, you know, there's only, it's not very well known for the kind of high octave wrestling they're kind of more accustomed to on a regular basis. There was only seven matches, like five stars from the Observer, between the year 2000 and 2009. Joe was in three of them, including this one. TNA's only five star match, and will probably remain TNA's only five star match. I mean, I might get proved wrong. Somebody might prove me wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think it's bizarre that, you know, the, this match is the only one to get five stars. We consider the talent that did come through, like when you had Angle, I mean, arguably some of the best matches he ever had through there. And you got somebody like RVD, Jeff Hardy, you got the, the really talented roster that they've got today. And yet still, like, that probably remains the only five star match. And also, like, a big compliment to this match is that these guys did this, like, triple threat match three more times in the remaining years that would follow, one of them for the world title but it's only ever the, really the first one that everyone talks about Yeah, I kind of I, re- I kind of remember at this point in time, it was kind of Daniel said he was, he was acknowledged obviously at this point as the longest uh, reigning exhibition champion of all time, I would assume I'm not quite remembered, I assume that's probably not the case anymore but no Definitely a big deal at that point, and I always remember after this that he then Joe nearly enough killed him at the next pay per view in like a big eight man tag, but with the destroy them. I always remember that, and then he did the turn to become a good guy, and then kind of started teaming with AJ. So it's a thing that it's all these guys kind of careers were kind of intertwined for such a long time, mostly based off of this match. I mean, most of the time you would kind of I mean. Daniels in particular now, uh, I would say Daniels is probably the one that guys lot is appreciated instead of Joe Dave. Mm. Yeah, I suppose so because AJ and Joe did go on to, you know, essentially effectively, you know, be the rivalry of TNA. You know, kind of like what John Cena and Randy Orton were in WWE. You know, it's these guys are like the full fight forever, effectively, and. But yeah, well, what I was saying is I didn't mean Joe was underrated in terms of his overall performance. I think he was just, um, I don't think he got as as good a showing given that, you know, it was, um, I mean, sure he had that big spot, but all eyes for, from my perspective was just AJ Styles because, you know, we, we were accustomed to him, you know, sort of being Mr. TNA. And then you had the outsider Daniels who was walking in as champion with the, the fallen angel persona. It... <sighs> I think those is those were kind of just what really stood out for this match in particular. But I still, I still uh, associate you know Samoa Joe as being one of the the top three names of of TNA and AJ obviously being the other one. Daniels, 
it's a bit of a it's a bit of a toss up between him and probably I want to say mm, not sure actually because you could argue Sting, you could argue Abyss, you could argue you know a couple other guys, you know motorcycle machine guns, beer money, but no, always AJ and Joe. You know they continued that never ending fight forever all the way through to to WWE at one point as well. You say that you didn't get as much as shown as the other two. I mean, I know AJ has had some of the like bigger spots in this match. Like another one of my favorites is when he breaks up the cooking clip with a spiral tap off the top. But I think Joe plays a crucial role in this match, and he maybe put, gets a bigger showcase in their subsequent triple threats. But I think it's the deck factor of like he's the one going into this match undefeated at this point, and you notice he doesn't take the fall, so he can maintain that, you know, or of like not being pinned or submitted, but. I think it's a case of like both of them are both Adams and AJ are trying to find a new way to like take him out of the match and maybe be the first to to beat him. And as much as Joe got to impress people by being a big guy who flies over the top and you know the commentators pick up the fact that all oh, the exhibition it's not weight limits, it's no limits. AJ and Daniels also get a chance to showcase that even though they're smaller guys there, they're still quite strong because they both get a big spot to lift uh, Joe on their respective shoulders and the crowd like goes mental when, the, when those spots happen. It's very, um, the, there's not a lot of rest in this match. It's a very much high octane from start to finish. I mentioned that there there was seven, there was almost seven five-star matches from Observer between the year 2000 and the year 2009. There's actually been seven five-star matches since June. <laughs> since June, that between now and June, there has been seven five-star matches. Yet there was only seven between these like, nine years when this match was in the middle there. Mental. Dave, Dave Milksack, get your fucking ratings fucks, man. Jesus. Start rating some old matches higher. Rewatch them, Dave. Rewatch old wrestling. You seem to say you love the fucking classics. Anyway, away from my rant. This match was class. This, <laughs> this is it. It is literally... I would say that this, I, I, we've talked about this in a lot of podcasts, so it's kind of hard to say some things that haven't been said. But this is probably the match that, I would say, personally, there's two, there's a, there's a couple of things that got a lot of people quite interested in TNA before we had the likes of all these WWE guys coming in, the likes of Angle who would come in later that year. I would always say it was this match and the Elix Skipper walking across the cage. Oh, that's like, you know, that's Mick Foley being thrown off hell in a cell moment for TNA. That walk across the cage to the Hurricane Rana is truly something special. But if you want a match that personifies TNA, it is this triple threat match. Yeah. And it's very nearly 17 years old now. Really, like Skipper was on the card for this particular show. He was in a six-man tag team match, teaming up with David Young and Simon Diamond. Remember that stable? Against the (laughs) free live crew. Only one person from that match is still probably actively wrestling. Ah, <laughs> uh, one of Kwaku's favourites. <laughs> ah, yes. Like, big Ron. Our truth for those who aren't familiar. <laughs> Everybody. Yeah, as, as I say, we've, this match has been talked about a lot in past podcasts. Is there anything else that you two guys would like to add on to this match that we've not really said? Mm. The finish was quite sudden almost. You know, it wasn't a definitive Styles Clash 450 or a coquina clutch it was effectively a roll-up but um i suppose it didn't really matter because it was uh you know you could argue there were shenanigans it sort of further fueled the storyline 
but it didn't make anybody look weak. It was just like a, it was like a moment of, you know, it's just a sheer blinking you miss it moment. And you know, Daniels got caught caught at the last second, and you could just tell by his reaction he was he was fuming with it. So. I think the storyline purposes, you know, it didn't have to be a definitive finish, but the pace of the match was so quick, you know, the the decision would have cropped up at any second. So I suppose it was almost a really fast-paced match finished with a very sudden finish, but sudden in a in a good way, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think with for me, the fact that it does end up with a sudden roll is what I love most about the finish. As we said, the pace does not let up. The fans stick with it the entire way. People they are going more and more apoplectic as the match goes on. But the fact that Joel kind of takes himself out is he goes to dive it down with Daniels moves and he goes tumbling on the outside. And so basically it's a case of, well, if we're not going to have him win, we're going to keep him protected and not get him involved in the finish. And I think it's the idea of like, these guys are so talented. The match could end at any point, even with a move as simple as this. And also showcases the idea that because AJ and, and Daniels had an on-again, off-again rivalry, which was really just getting started around this time, I think it also went to show that AJ knew Daniels so well that he was able to kind of surprise him with this move. Some really, really top stuff. Some A, a, a fantastic match. It's, it's, it just, it, let's say it, it flies in, and that's, it's, that's what makes it great. And mm. the fact that TNA have not been able to top it for 17 years, I mean, come on. It's just something else, you know. And that TNA is not it's not like exactly this is like a one-off match for TNA I mean as Scott mentioned they've had some really top quality stuff a lot of it involving Joe stuff involving you know the likes of uh, AJ Angle all these type of guys but and the tag division at one point as well was absolutely stacked so this match is, is an absolute classic and it is one like, that is definitely worth watching it's a hidden gem if you've never really if you're, see if you've never really into TNA if TNA's never pleased if you've came into wrestling at a point where TNA's been on the downfall. Go back, find this match, and probably watch like, yeah, probably watch from this point maybe up till, you know, the end of the main event match. That's what that's what I would say. If, you, if you're going to watch a golden era of TNA, mm-hmm. don't watch before it. Especially Scott would tell you that because it's just Jeff Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett. Oh, oh yeah, that mean. Jeff Jarrett wasn't on the card for the show, which is which makes a you know a ten a ten on ten card overall in, in my book. But I think you can argue that a lot of hardcore fans found TNA through this match, then a lot of casuals would find it the next year when, when Angle came in. Yeah, definitely one it definitely popped up. It was on I think it was on challenge at this point as well in the UK, which was always quite handy. Yeah. On after rerun of Gladiators and on just before Takeshi's Castle. Spot of dreams. Mm, yeah. So moving on, we'll now go on. I think to Dave's matchup. We'll go into Dave's match. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, this took place and the on the sixteenth of June, twenty eighteen, at the Allstate Arena in Rosemont, Illinois. It was WWE NXT Takeover Chicago two. It was the opening match of this particular show. The tag team titles were on the line. It was the Undisputed Era. Of course it was. It's Dave. Mm-hmm. Uh, for who's a regular listener of the show. Uh, Kyle O'Reilly and Roderick Strong were, were the Undisputed Era at this time, accompanied by a man who will not be named. <laughs> uh, to take on 
Danny Butch and Ori Lorcan, which I believe was their first tag team title opportunity as a team. Uh, Dave, uh-huh. why did you choose this match? Stupid question. Why yeah. did you choose this match? Well, I think it is glaringly obvious why I sort of chose this one, but in all seriousness, I do have a legitimate reason why why I picked this one because as a fan of NXT Black and Gold from back in the day, like this was a place where you could watch genuinely good tag team wrestling at a time where WWE didn't put a lot of investment into tag teams or to an extent even women's wrestling at the time. Uh, but, you know, Undisputed Era were running rampant at that point. You know, they had just gained a fourth member in Roddy Strong. They won the Dusty Cup that year as well. Uh, and even though with Bobby Fish was out injured, you know, they were still acting like a dominant presence with Adam Cole as North American champion. Uh, and I think this was their first major title defense on a takeover stage following WrestleMania. So Birch and Larkin went in as as the massive underdog tag team. And in Chicago you know, which is a very big wrestling town, they were cheering Undisputed Era like crazy. You know, it's almost as if they were the faces and Larkin and Birch were the heels when in fact it was the other way around. So everybody thought this was just going to be a one and done, you know, Undisputed Era, clean sweep and get the get the win pretty in a pretty decent match, but I don't think it would have been anything to shout home about. The reason I chose this though is it because it massively massively over-delivered largely because of a very, very good performance from one Ori Larkin so, you know, he just kept the momentum going throughout the entire duration of, I think it was like 15, 16 minutes they got Larkin just was a machine throughout that entire match, hitting uppercuts and dives and just screaming that intensity uh, throughout, there and throughout so and it, everything about this match, you know, it was everything from near falls, submission wrestling, tag team compatibility. There was that brutal spot where Oni takes a tumble off the top rope and lands back first on the edge of the ring, which is the hardest part of the ring. And it's just watching that back. It was just painful to to listen to. And there was a moment which sort of echoed DIY versus the revival uh, to take over Toronto where they were. Larkin and Birch had them both Kyle and Roddy in submission holds and it looked like they were about to win only for a very clever counter from Kyle to kick Birch in the face and effectively end what was almost like an upset of the century in a bit. So everything from high drama to solid tag team wrestling to uh basically showcasing a team like Larkin and Birch, who nobody had a lot of high hopes for. They effectively over-delivered on the big stage, and I think a lot of the guys respected them afterwards. So it was, uh, yeah, it just ticked all the boxes when not everyone expected a, a classic here. I love I love how you say this match over-delivers. Then I think you've maybe oversold it by saying that if Larkin, Larkin and Birch would win, it would have been the upset of the century. <laughs> I think that's a slight over-exaggeration on that particular one, you know. I think we've had... That's the thing, though. Everybody went in with the expectation the Undisputed Era was going to win, but it made you... There were certain points, you know, the double submission holds especially. It was like, what if? What if they actually pull this off? 
because the way they carried themselves in the match, I think they actually won a lot of people over, including myself. Uh, but I was still pleased with the end result regardless. Yeah, uh, Scott, Dave mentions uh, Oni Lorcan. I mean, you can never uh, mess with a man who tweets in all caps. I mean, that's <laughs> a freaking presence in itself. Yes, a man who... Uh... A man who treats in all cats is not to be trifled with. Uh, yeah, you, you're right, Dave. When the when this video came out, they did get a massive you know, ovation. You know, it's almost like the fans saw Rat Match Man Randy Savage come out. They got that big reaction. Oh, Jesus wept. Uh, I was going to say that this match is the most Dave match Dave could have picked, but if it was going to be a little bit more Dave, then it would have had Adam Cole actually wrestling in the match. So it loses points for that. Uh, save that for a future uh, future mixtape show. Yeah, yeah, he's got to save something for next time. And so looking at this match, I think only Larkin and Birch were picked because I think this is a transitional period for the tag division because two of the other major hitters at the time were AOP and uh, Sanity, and they'd just been both been called up. And I remember actually feeling a little bad for, for Larkin and Birch at the time because they became kind of you know fan favorites in the full sale crowd because when they when that crowd you know latched on a an act they were very very loyal to that act whereas this was a much bigger crowd a much more indie favored crowd so that's why Lorcan and Birch kind of got booed and I think it's the point where Lorcan gets that hot tag after Birch has been isolated for so long and he just runs wild like a, a okay like a skinnier more mental Cesaro I can describe his hot tag. And I think that's when the fans uh, really start to appreciate Lorcan and Birch a bit more, maybe think they have a chance. And also, it's kind of sad. Also, it was a bit bittersweet for them because it's their first opportunity. But one of the, the sickest spots is the the thing that you mentioned the spot on the apron front that Lorcan takes. Dave, I do mm-hmm. believe Lorcan would be out for a while with a legit injury. And I believe that's the spot that causes it. Did he not um, break his orbital bone as a result at one point as well? It might have been from the kicks when he was in the submission hold. I don't know. I think it was either that spot or when he does that double block versus the outside. It was something to do with the outside. I remember it being reported afterwards that that, right. was the, that hurt him. I do also think it's strange that, like you said, like the fans treat it as if Lorcan and to the heels and his beard are the faces. Ironically, in 2020, uh, Birch and Lorcan, along with Dunn and Pat McAfee, would be the heels against a face undisputed era. <laughs> <laughs> just goes to show how weird the last few years have been. I I like that point you make about the kind of the kind of loyal full sale crowds because you kinda of still see that to this day. Uh especially kinda of with the kind of two point uh, era because there's always I don't know how much he's watching my NXT, there's always that one corner where all the guy all the groups of fans wearing the Chase U t shirts. <laughs> never see a Chase U t shirt anywhere. Chase U had never had a pillar on the show half the time. And it's like, yep, the Chase U section is there. You know, and it's like, you probably go, if they went on a tour or something like that, in fact, see if they called Chase U up tomorrow or tonight, you'd be, a lot of people were like, who the feck are these guys? So that's kind of the same, it's kind of the same example of it. It's great. It is great when you kind of see the kind of guys just turn the crowd around. And that's, that's when, I mean, we've talked a lot about Ori Lorcan, but it's a Brilliant spot as well for Danny Burch. You talk about a guy who kind of paid his dues and he kind of worked his way up and this was kind of a good moment for him as well. But as you've mentioned, it's the first proper exhibition of Undisputed Era as a team since Bobby Fish got injured. Me and Dave, when we were watching this, we were sitting trying to think 
of when Bob and Undisputed Era would lose the titles. And it's actually, they would probably actually lose it like a month later to uh, Mustache Mountain. British mm-hmm. Open, you know, so. And then they regained it after the night at Royal Albert Hall. Yeah, the match where they get uh, Trent Seven froze in the towel, or is it the other way about? Tyler Bate froze in the towel? One of the I two, yeah. So. I think it's Bate froze the towel in for, for Trent. And I believe the talk about how frequently five star matches are thrown it. I believe that was a five star match, the rematch where Undisputed won the belts back, and I think it was a big deal because like a TV match in NXT, like TV matches didn't re- rarely in WWE ever got five stars. So I remember everybody was talking about that at the time. No, TV matches. That's quite a controversial, probably quite a controversial thing to say, but I didn't think it was very, very justified five star. Uh, Weekly matches on NXT. I, did. I thought I thought a lot of weekly NXT shows were quite crap. Takeovers were always great, but a lot of the, the weekly shows were terrible. It's just one hour of not much. Well, I think the good thing about this match is that a lot of the the best takeover matches, I think, as good as they were, there were quite a few you could pick out and you could kind of describe as you no know, spot fest. I know you know critics of NXT could criticise certain matches and say they're a spot fest. This one, I think, sets us apart from this one sets itself apart from really the standard tie matches we were used to at the time and the kind of matches we were used to at uh, takeover because it wasn't about really fancy spots. I mean, I think the fanciest spot you get is like Larkin's blockbuster off the the apron. I think the most of this matches consisted. Of, I think the guys all got together before and went, "Wait, here's the plan. We're all just going to hate each other as hard as we possibly can." That that was only Larkin's style, wasn't it? You know, just. You know, just hit hard ask questions later kind of guy and it's that's his persona you know he effectively just screams intensity kind of almost kind of like Ilya Dragunov a little bit I would love him I would love to kind of brought him back and then for just for one match with Gunter just him do them one match you know give them six minutes on Smackdown just hitting each other you remember when he had that match during the early pandemic year of, of NXT in 2020, he had that match with with Thatcher as well. Like how brutal that was. Why did you bring Thatcher back? I'd love to see him back. I know he's in Noah currently, I think. Oh, I don't know what he's doing, but he's the most beautiful, ugly bastard in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not a good look. He's not the best. Uh, he's a really grizzled man. That's an excellent ox- use of an oxyball rod right there. I mean, knowing what you know about how how you know how much it, how tough the Miz Thatcher was, you wouldn't really you know give him that moniker to his face. Oh, fake no, fake no. <laughs> uh, again, talking about the card round this match, and I mean this was the opener. It was round about the point where NXT put the tag team title match on on the start of all the takeovers, and it worked to a dream. Not a pun intended because you look at the other matches. We had Ricochet versus biggest downfall of a career I've ever seen in the Velveteen Dream. Uh, <laughs> followed this match, um, one of the worst NXT women's title matches. I think it's unfortunate to say between Shayna Baszler and Nikki Cross. Ooh. Uh, Alistair Black versus another oh, freaking hell, this guy, um, Lars Sullivan, uh, and the second of the original. Gargano Champa series, which that was decent, but was very long. So yeah, it, it was the the unnecessary sequel a little bit, but 
this the Chicago Street Fight and this match, the tag team title match, both joint rated highest of the night, both getting four four and a half stars. And probably the two matches that'll be remembered mm-hmm. because you know who's gonna say in five years' time, let's go watch a Velveteen Dream or Lars Sullivan match. <laughs> difference there i think the main event the open will be remembered for the reasons we want them to sadly the dream and sullivan matches are just matches that age because of well unfortunate real life things i mean nobody was talking about the sullivan match for much longer after because they botched the finish so much because he was there was so much air between his face and the black mass yeah it was, it was quite it was quite bad he sells it a lot better like uh, a couple of months later, where uh, that great NXT, I, I know what I said, NXT TV wasn't brilliant. I said, there was a great angle they did not long after this when Alistair Black came back after he got jumped. Mm. And he just comes in, and it just comes in from the parking lot going absolutely nuts. Sullivan's in the ring, and he just kind of laps him before Johnny Gargano comes out of nowhere. It's probably the best, only good spot of Lars Sullivan's career, I think it's fair to say. Man has a five. Him and Velveteen Dream have five-star matches on the on the note of five-star matches. That's something, you know. That's I think that happened, you know. But Kurt Angle has never had a five-star rated match, and those two have. Yeah, life is not fair. It's really not. It's really not. It's really not. Well, Osprey gets a five-star match every six, every three days. <laughs> <laughs> He wipes his arse and Meltzer gives it five stars. There's some braggers of matches for you. Go back and watch old angle matches, Dave. Seriously. Seriously. Oh, yeah, listen, I'm. Not you, Meltzer. Oh, right. <laughs> I know you watch angle matches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kurt Angle's great. I think, to be There's no way out 2005 match against John Cena. Very underrated. Another good moment of uh, down in Cardiff, Scott, was at one point in one of the pumps, I told a bunch of guys, ask Dave some random facts about where matches happen. And he got most of them right. <laughs> After a few, even with a few drinks in him, he got most of them right. This was the night before this was the night before Clash at the Castle, by the way. It was in a little little uh, little bar called Gassies, just outside of Cardiff. So you- next door yet. So you use Dave as your own personal wrestling ring man, you're telling me, Stephen? Well, I just thought, he, just, he came up with something random, I think, and I just went, he could tell you a main event of any pay-per-view. And then one of the guys, I mean, I, I just said to him, WrestleMania 31 or something like that, and I was like, give him a hard one. Don't <laughs> <laughs> give him a mania. <laughs> oh, jeez. But, yeah, any more thoughts on this particular tag match? I know when like a tangent, yeah, Adam Cole should have get chucked out of ringside. You know, Kyle clearly got his foot under the bottom rope by of his own accord. He clearly didn't. Cole literally reached in and grabbed him, and then had a cheek to yell, "I didn't do anything." Because he, he didn't do anything. He did he clearly did? <laughs> I'll come just winding you up. If you had Adam Cole could do a shit on Dave's lap, and it'd be on anyone. Jesus Christ! <laughs> what? I'm not going to go with the five star thing. That's you not just made, thing. You just made it weird now. I made it weird. <laughs> We've been in your company with Adam Cole things have happened. <sighs> ah. Never mind. Got you again. So, uh, Dave could get married and then Adam Cole would come by and shag Dave's wife and Dave would make him a cup of tea afterwards. 
<laughs> Am I wrong? Silent. Oh, <laughs> yes, you are wrong. <laughs> no, I wouldn't make a cup of tea. Give him a beer or something. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, well done. <laughs> right, away from Adam Cole, uh, we have uh, opened this up with a couple of, pre- couple of pretty good matches. Now we're going to take it down a notch. Or notches, it's fair to say. Going back a number of years, we're going back to 1998 and WCW. We're going back to Halloween Havoc of that particular year, from the 25th of October that particular year. A match which many people would have built as one of the biggest rematches of all time. A rematch from WrestleMania 6. Yeah, WrestleMania 6. It was... Hulk Hogan, Hollywood Hulk Hogan, I say at this particular point, taking on the ultimate warrior. What could go wrong? Yes, this is my choice. I thought it best to say my choice on this particular, on this particular card. The rest of the guys all picked bangers. And I thought, no. Need to have an absolute duff match in here. And this is one here. Uh, Scott. I know when we were talking in our group chat beforehand, you were like, I left this match as late as possible to watch. I I put it off just in general. I'd never watched this match. I'd, I knew about the, the most famous fuck-up of this match. I knew that... That's, why I picked be, it. That's the reason I picked it. <laughs> and, you know, I left it as late as possible in the when I was going to the match, and I thought, no, don't watch it last. Save one of the other picks to the end, sandwich this shit in between so you can watch one of the other picks and remember what good wrestling is. And, you know, I watched the, and I looked at the length of it. This is a third of the length of, of my match that we're going to talk about in a little bit. And yet this somehow felt like twice as long as the match I picked because it's so boring. I hate you so much, Stephen, for making me watch this. Hogan, by this point, is Hollywood Hogan is like a pantomime villain. And fucking each fucking DC wouldn't even touch a combat character like fucking Warrior at this stage. He was so shite. And fuck you. I mean, uh, me and Dave were watching it. I think at one point it was like, this match is so not bad. I think I was like two minutes in. Mm. Yeah, I mean, in all fairness, it did start off okay because, you know, it's. If you've got two big megastars going at it, you don't expect them to come straight out of the bat, you know, going like at sprint pace. You tend to have a bit more of a, a slow burner, kind of like what we saw, like, actually quite a lot of big name matches usually have a, a bit of a slow burner and then they really pick up the pace towards the end. But so, I mean, if you are if you were watching this for the first time, you might seem a little bit optimistic about it, but then it all goes downhill very, very badly. Um I'm not even, I can't even remember what point exactly it actually went downhill. Was it because of the the point where Hogan effectively burned his tash off, or is it... Uh, I don't think it was going very well up until that point. Yeah. I, I think it's when they went to the outside. I think that's kind of when it went downhill a little bit. And, you know, the, and then the interferences at the end, the botched fireball spot, it's... It was... Um, it 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 there. I can't even speak. It's so difficult to explain. It was um. Yeah, apparently, um, was Warrior not injured going into this match as well? After 
Fall Brawl. To put it into, to put it into perspective, kind of, that this match kind of summarises how big of a fuck up it was bringing Ultimate Warrior into WCW. They paid a lot of money to get him in. He came in, he pretty much had a full creative control of what he did, you know. Mm-hmm. He started his own version of the NWO called the One Warrior Nation, you know, which was him, you know, and just it was NWO Bibles. He, he wanted to have a trap door under the ring, and the trap door was that much of a fuck up, it nearly fucking paralyzed Davy Boy Smith at Fall Brawl. I think it was Davy Boy Smith that got injured with him. The just the thing that really summarizes before this match even starts how bad it was, his debut promo, right? The first promo he does, he does 27 minutes. His promo was meant to be seven. Or... <laughs> he's meant to come out and do a five-minute promo and he was there for half an hour. Could you imagine Warrior doing a fucking half-hour promo? <sighs> I mean, I he rambles in most of them anyway. <laughs> I, I think when you actually watch back his run, I think he gets a big pop in his first run, but I think by week three... Everybody realizes just how shite these promos are, and things begin to sour. And they've not even got to the match they've they've brought him in for. And I remember Eric Bischoff in his podcast was talking about the Warriors debut, and he was asked by Conrad Dawson, uh, "At what point did you regret paying all this money to bring Warrior in?" And, he, and Bischoff's response was, "About halfway through his debut promo." Because <laughs> he was a bit of a. once it can't really be said. It's like he's. For people who watch, grew up watching wrestling in the 80s and the early 90s, he's a, he's a hero to a lot of people because he had that much energy. It was that point we could get away with not being a very good wrestler because he wasn't a good wrestler. His fucking finisher was a splash. And not even one off the top rope. Not even big titty splash that Walter does. Uh, <laughs> I mean, can I just say, he, he goes for the splash. He gets about two inches off the ground before he jumps. H- Hogan moves out the way and Warrior Cells landing on his face the same way the RVD sells hitting the five star frog splash. Yes. Yeah, so also, there was no mention of this being a no disqualification match either, because Hogan was using his his weight belt as a weapon, and obviously he tried to use a fireball too. But you yeah, well, less said about that, a, better. It wasn't a no DQ match. It was just a normal singles match. Yeah, and yet they they were hitting each other with the with the belt. They nearly blew up their face at one point and it took a referee's distraction via the giant and who else was there that came out? Horace Hogan. Horace Hogan, that's him, yeah. Yes, uh, and this is what you do, your big this big blow off, you bring out Horace Hogan who got attacked by the NWO in the Nitro before <laughs> this. And poor Nick Patrick was just getting beat up by he was just hit by Hogan Nick at least Patrick a couple of times. He deserves everything he gets. He was that fucking arsehole ref. <laughs> hey, we know he was the arsehole ref the NWO, but at least just let him referee the match. You don't need to or actually you don't not even really sure you can call this a match given how how it happened. I mean Warrior getting pinned off one one chair shot as well. It just makes them look really, really lazy. And I think I remember I said to you, Stevie, that this effectively was just this was this match was sold on name value alone. They didn't have to put in any effort when it when the time actually came, because you know Hogan had a bit of a rep as well for being a bit of a bit of a politician in WCW as well. So when you've got two big egos like that trying to play creative control with their own booking, you just know that nothing's gonna nothing good's gonna come out of it, and they'll both make look each other much much worse off. And it was evident. Uh, 
you know, at least maybe by about the five minute mark, that was it. And it was, it just felt like the last 10 minutes just dragged on horrendously. Interferences didn't really do much, but we were both laughing at the, the failed fireball spot as well, because it, I, I don't know what they were the thinking. Fireball spot is literally what I, is why I picked it. It's just, I always remember it so vividly. And it's like, I don't even, what the, why is he, what's he even doing? I've never lit a fireball myself, so I can't say if it's hard or not. But blooming, what's his face? He's, uh, James Mitchell could do it like a blooming nothing, like a magic trick. Like, he was, he was, he's great at it when he's in DNA. But Hogan's just like, I mean, of all the things, you know, what's even the need for a fireball? It's not even his, part of his gimmick. Mm-mm. Somewhere backstage, Jericho was taking notes. Like, hmm, maybe in 20 years when I want to pretend I'm a wizard or something, I'll try and learn how to do a fireball. But uh, Chris, you talk different, about, different gimmick a week, Jericho. <laughs> you talk about, like, when did this match go on? For me, I think it went really downhill after they did the ref bump. Because then he took... I, can't, I couldn't take Nick Patrick seriously because someone once pointed out to me how much he looks like Kenny Powers from the show Eastbound and Down. And when he takes that, that clothesline bump and then Hogan just for shits and goes decides to drop a, a knee on him for some reason. To let the, let's face it, the NWOB team basically come out to fuck up trying to attack Warrior. The giant comes down who's going to be gone from the company in three months. And he, he has a look on his face like he's counting down the days before he gets the fuck out of there. And then I think from there it went downhill. But one spot I enjoyed from this match was when Warrior got to use the weight belt because Bobby Heenan, whose heel face always hated Hogan, and when Warrior's whipping Hogan with the belt, Heenan, Heenan goes, he's giving him what his mother should have given him a long time ago. The WCW Commons team at this point is actually really good. Uh, Bobby Heenan, Mike today. And, you know, that fresh face from AEW, <laughs> Tony, Tony Schiavone. Like he's still going, still going strong. Uh, see, see if he said to somebody, right, right, who's like, not as, I never watched this, but knows wrestling history, you see, we have a closing stretch of Scott Hall versus Kevin Nash, Bret Hart versus Sting, Hogan versus Warrior rematch from Mania and Goldberg versus DDP. Be like, that's that, that, that's pretty good. And then you tell them, right, only one of those matches got a higher rating than Kidman versus Disco Inferno. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, 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 it's like, what? It's, what even? You know. We've not even mentioned the fact that you talk about DDP. Over this match, it only went like 40 minutes, but somehow it still managed to overrun, which is why the partly why the pay per view cuts out and then they yeah. need away the, the main event for Fear Nitro, which would serve as the last time they'd ever beat Raw on the ratings. Yeah, I remember that actually. They completely decked up, you know, and just cut off. You know, I mean, people keep joking like, ah, AW's could, if AW's going to keep making the mistakes that. WCW make it's like well they've not cut off a pay per view that's when you know things are going bad mm-hmm. no, but yeah it's that I think Penny compared it with the Mania match the two of them had and I think with the Mania match a lot of it's been with the crowd and the build to it you know it was the whole title versus title thing 
you know, one error versus the other error. And you sometimes just can't recreate magic, you know. Nah. I think the crowd were very forgiving in some as well. Like they were very willing to go along with certain things. I think even those few were still with it. By the time the fireball spot came, like you could hear a pin drop in there, you had everybody just went like, nah. There's just some matches where you can catch lightning in a bottle, and the Mania 6 clash between these two is one of those instances. But when you try and recreate it, you're just gonna you're just gonna taint it for for eternity and it's this match has now got that rep of it's so bad that you actually have to go back and watch how bad it is and that's the rep that this match has gathered did nothing for Horace Hogan's career oh definitely not yeah Yeah, look what happened to Big Show as well He, he went on to have a pretty pretty decent career at least can we talk about the fact they threatened to set the warrior on fire post-match? Like they started dousing him in lighter fluid and everything. Like, if anything, I don't think any officials needed to chase them off. If you saw Hogan's attempts with the with the fireball earlier, I think Warrior was pretty safe. <laughs> yeah, they had the trap door under the ring as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> just crawled under that, you know. Oh, God. It's an example why you just can't give certain people creative control. And the warrior just the warrior did so many fucking stupid things. I remember when he had the bombing and you just remember the thing he had with Jake the Snake when he was feuding the Undertaker. Was it like the black goo or something like that? Ah, uh, the black goo. Uh, I don't know how much of that was fully him. Based on a lot of the stuff that went on in this kind of angle, I think I could bite him every time. I think this is pretty much him when he's at his worst in terms of what he thinks this warrior character should be like. And I think Bishop said, like, I went to his house, Bishop said, like, for two hours, we he talked non-stop about all this stuff about the warrior character being a superhero. I said, and by the time I got home, I had, like, three messages, three more messages from the warrior whose house I just left. Oh, he's, uh, he's, he's one guy that knows not a lot of people in that's a Something's not going to be too right with this one because we're not going to put one of the biggest rematches in wrestling history as a main event. It's like, yeah, these two are these two are fucked. They <laughs> fucking built this entire, you know. They bloody they thought, what's the best thing we can do to help make this warrior gimmick? Let's have them convert the British the barber beefcake. <laughs> right, right. British the barber beefcake hadn't been relevant since like nineteen eighty nine or something. It's 1998. Virtual came out as well at one point, I'm sure. Yeah, he did, yeah. Yeah, other than the giant, the other two were Virgil and Stevie Ray who tried to get involved. And it does when you look back on the two lineups, when the NWO was split into the black and white and the Wolfpack, I think the Wolfpack got all the good members. Oh, 100% did. I think he got Bobby, was he? He got Steiner as well. Steiner was in this one as well. 
Paul and Steiner are the two best in the, in the black and white because like Wolfpack's got Nash, Luger, Stein, Conan. Actually, one point. Mm-hmm. Aye, and they've got they had Bumming Bagwell. Horace Hogan, Scott Norton. I think Kurt, actually Kurt Henning. Kurt Henning, I think was in the black and white. Anyway, it's well past at this point. Ah, uh, yeah. So, but yeah, if you want a match to put your children off of watching wrestling, if you don't like wrestling yourself, we recommend Hogan versus Warrior. <laughs> if, however, you are a parent and your kid's not currently into wrestling and you'd like to get them into wrestling, we would maybe recommend the final match on our first wrestling mixtape. It was chosen by Scott McLeod, and as he mentioned, it's three times the length of Hogan, Warrior, but three times good. Before actually, just quickly going back, the Hogan match, negative five stars from the Observer. Negative five stars. But, five stars is Scott's match. It's from the one and only NXT UK TakeOver Cardiff from August 2019, a big day in wrestling because it was the same day as the first ever All Out show. It's the main event in that particular match. Tyler Bate versus Walter slash Goodfer for the NXT UK Championship. Scott, why did you pick a match that lasted as long as a half a football? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was recommending that was the last person I put in a match for this, I couldn't think what to, because I know we're going to be doing this regularly, but trying to think what can I do for the first one, you know, should I put in a Kane match? Should I put in a match with Viscera? Should I put in a match that features both Kane and Viscera? I thought, no, much like Day with Adam Cole, save it for a future installment. One of the matches from ECW. (laughs) (laughs) All in good time, all in good time. So, I was trying to think, and then at the time, Cardiff was coming up, and Gunther was the Intercontinental Champion, and I thought, oh, well, it'll be nice because, you know, given where he is in the card now. And what's thing is that well, not long after I made this pick, it was announced that NXT UK was, was ending, and Tyler B was going to that match with Braun Breaker that he had the other night to kind of unify the NXT and NXT UK champions. So I think out of all the matches, this has kind of now become the one, you know, most kind of fitting of like the, the time that we were recording this in. So to funny again look back on NXT UK with kind of one era with British strong style ending after this match and kind of going and running Russia over NXT UK for the next couple of years and Walter beginning his mammoth kind of title reign. Also, I think it's like I think it's the idea that this is a long match, but it doesn't really ever feel that long. The crowd are hot throughout. Tanton for Tyler Bate. It's very loud. Walter is a wanker chant <laughs> for most of the season, full on heel mode during this match and you know it's just amazing how far he's come from this to now Gunther now he's the Intercontinental Champion had a he had another banger in Cardiff uh, which you two were at but you know I remember all of us being like you me us three Alan Strack I believe all watching NXT UK Cardiff uh, and Alan's house and we were all enthralled with that we were just gripped for the entire like 40 odd minutes and it's the fact that this 
you know, it feels like he's right, right for a comeback retire, right before he wins the bit. Nope. Close line. One, two, three, the match is over. And so suddenly, but in a way, kind of so satisfying. Yeah. I think this is, when we watched this back, that was the first uh, time I'd ever watched it since that first night actually watching it live, which was great. I, I always remember there was a banger, but it was always the length that maybe put me off. But, Dave, I don't think it feels, it's not, doesn't, it feels like it's a long, it's a slog. A good, good slog, not like a, oh, fair, I need to watch. Aaliyah wrestling Elimination mm-hmm. Chamber slog. Um, yeah, no, it's um, it's a the, reason, the the reason this match was so good is I think for a number of reasons. I think the pacing of the match itself was very well done. You know, there were some really fast-paced moments. You know, from uh, running the ropes to you know quick counters, and then. When it looked like you know things were going a bit too fast, they slow the pace down, do some rest holds, headlocks, that kind of thing. It gets the crowd up and running again. The crowd's interaction as well, you know, because it was like a small, intimate crowd as opposed to you know a massive stadium like Principality. It was you could hear what the crowd were chanting, and you could hear that you know they were playing a factor in this. And I think the last reason is there were a handful of memorable spots in and throughout which sort of built in with the story you know it was a proper proper David versus Goliath type match here because size wise Tyler was just vastly out, outsized here but he held his own so well against the man who was literally almost twice his size yeah height and width wise at this particular point yeah he was about 100 I think Walter was about 100 pounds heavier than Tyler as well Hmm. Uh, we we talk about matches like on the same card as the matches that we've chosen and you look at this card i even though i was at the first blackpool takeover i still think this card of card is the best of the three takeovers that x uk ever did because you also had uh andrews and webster versus grizzle jung vets and gallus you had keely Ravy, tony storb you had dragonoff versus cesaro like just overall a hell of a card and we, we, we mentioned Meltzer in every match, so why not mention him again? Because, as mentioned on the recent quiz showdown about matches in the UK, this broke the Meltzer scale. I think it's got like five and a half stars. Five and a quarter, I think it got. Five and a quarter. Yeah, five and a quarter. Yeah. I think it was like a case of like, especially in the NXT brands, more five-star matches were cropping up from Meltzer for WWE, but I think this was the first time it ever like broken the five-star scale Actually, no, it was actually the second time in the WWE in that time year. Of, second time in the space of three months because of, it, they did it in June with Gargano. I think like Gargano and Cole and then this, so, which was, again, a bizarre thing to see because everyone it was becoming a joke even then, though, oh, six stars in the Tokyo. You know, this is in Japan, this match, we got five and a half, six stars, but now WWE matches, matches under the WWE umbrella, we're getting five and a half stars. And, like, it's allowed, are you watching Vince McMahon chat? And now it's funny that Triple H is in charge and Tyler Bate just may, may have entered a show which saw the end of that title and Gunther is now on the main roster leading Imperium again as the Intercontinental Champion. Good to see him yeah, leading the Imperium and at Clash, you know, guys will talk about it more later in, the, in our next uh, record that goes live on the, on the feed on the, this week's ESSR Central. We'll be a lot more about uh, Clash on that particular one and Obviously, the match that they mentioned between Tyler Bate and Ron Breaker. 
But yeah, this was. I. I can't. I think about Gunter Walter. I'll call him Walter. Acknowledge it was we do now acknowledge it was used to be called Walter. We're allowed to say that. Walter uh, is his actual name, so you may as well. Yeah, I know, but he was once called Big Daddy Walter, and nobody calls him that. So <laughs> acknowledge, your, say, like, acknowledge your daddy. <laughs> like what he said, you can call him that because he's his real name. Now, Hogan's real name is Terry, but we weren't calling him Terry when we were talking about the match with Walter. Yeah, exactly. He deserves to be called Terry after that bombing shit show. But yeah, it was kind of like. I wasn't fully sold on. I knew he'd done some great matches in his time, but I wasn't fully sold on him. Then his match with Dunn was pretty good, but it wasn't amazing. But this was the first proper amazing gun for because you could do it on the Indies because he'd done he'd done it everywhere. You know, he had a banger with PCO at one point for God's sake. I mentioned that today. Uh, but and the WWE umbrella to do something like this was, was brilliant. But you got to obviously give credit to Tyler Bate because. You forget just how young Tyler Bates still is. A lot of people still say to me, I, I say, no, not to me, I say a tweet something said that Tyler Bates was younger than Braun Breaker. It's like, you wouldn't actually think he was younger because he's been about for so long. Actually, I think they actually revealed, I think he's actually a year older. I think they, they said that Worlds Collide. Yeah, Worlds Collide, they showed their ages on the, the sort of tail of the tape graphics. Turns out Braun's actually younger than Tyler. Sure. Yeah. Tyler's twenty five, Bron's twenty four. I know Bron's been born with the face of a man who of a thirty five year old man, but there's I'm sure a, he'll grow. There's not a lot of difference between them then. That's, that's, Ameri- that's Americans for you. They just look older than they actually are. Yeah, some somebody looks like it. What's his face? Oh, oh I can't read his name. Oh, Necro Butcher. Oh, he looks like he's probably seventy. He's like thirty five. <laughs> I think there's a lot of that in, in wrestling, like Earthquake and his big run in the WWF in the early 90s. He was like 26 years old, but had a full on beard and a receding hairline. Oh, yeah, he aged 10. Ah, that, that, right, right, that's what I saw it. That's what I saw it. That's, there's not a big age difference between the two of them, was the thing I'd seen. But obviously, you'd have thought that Tyler Bate, because of how long Tyler Bate had been about, I mean, 25. Anyone, he's, it was six years since he first won the UK title. I mean, he would have been still, was it 21 probably? Yeah, he would have been 21, yeah. Which is mental. Absolutely mental. That he was still he was a pillar of this brand, having these sort of matches. And he got battered. He got absolutely... But he still kept coming back and hitting big moves, big moves. The bop and bang in this match is really well done as well. I mean, uh, he, he took a he took an apron bump as well, didn't he? It was like a half Nelson suplex. He took a half. He took a, a kind of sleeper suplex that well, that kind of thing. He uh, he got power bombed on the edge of the ring as well, kind of similar to what happened to him a couple of months before at download. Yeah, it happened to Trent to download as well. It not happened to Tyler as well. Yeah, I think it happened to to both of them. All right. Yeah, because I'm sure Tyler was out for a wee bit. I'm sure it put Tyler out and then he kind of came back to set up this match. Which was... Yeah, I, I recalled Nigel McGuinness saying, like, you know, he just could not believe, you know, Tyler was still going after all that punishment he took. And he was saying that... Yeah, 
42 minutes in and he's like, this is a match that people are going to be talking about for decades. And if you wanted to say, like, look at a, a British wrestling match, put this on. It's because it just hit all all the right notes. And even Bay, you know, despite the amount of punishment he took, he was delivering exploder suplexes to a near 300-pound man. And let's not forget, I think one of the best spots was the the burning hammer from the corner. Like, that, I think, is... To do that to somebody like Walter, who's a pretty, pretty huge guy, you know, he's like the size of Samoa Joe, I reckon, and then it's like one of us trying to pick him up and do a, a move to him. It's it's mind blowing to show how much strength Tyler actually has, and he basically reiterated why he's the the big strong boy, as it were. And the crowd reminded him of that. Yeah, I think I think uh, Trent Seven was doing the burning hammer around that time, so I think it was kind of an homage to him. And you seen at one point there in the corner, and Tyler does like the beat down finger. Like snap as well. We can have homages to his, his fellow British strong style uh, stable mates, and I think it was the whole thing that he's like the big strong boy. I think you could tell that they were building to the eventual pop when that like, he tries to snap, no, he can't do it, or he tries to get it, but Walter fights out. I think it was a case of they perfectly built to the point where Tyler would have that like Hogan Andre kind of moment where he'd be able to like slam the big guy. <clears throat> One thing, Scott, you mentioned that I've always noticed with a lot of what. <clears throat> A lot of Volta matches is um, it sometimes ends really suddenly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it looks like it's perfectly set up for a comeback, as you say, and it's just like bang, done. You know, it's like, and that's kind of you kind of like to see that in a match that's so long because you sometimes think, right, you've been rest, you've been get battered for half an hour. There's no way you can just no sell a big move, but it's just like up, oh, bang, down, done. Great, yes. Especially when you've been like wrestling for that long, a guy like you said has a hundred pounds on him, drives his arm into your chest, drives the window at you with all his force. Like, I think it's believable that you're gonna stay there. And I think it was a lariat that he finished Seamus off with the at Classic Castle. So there was kind of some symmetry between this match and his match with Seamus. I thought. Obviously, got the the lads were out there. The no shoe army came out at the end. You know, no, no shoe. I keep saying that. No socks. No soccer. <laughs> I said that when I was I said that when I was watching it back as well today. I was like, here come the no shoe guys. Like, oh, no soccer. <laughs> no soccer. Um, Scott obviously did allude to the card that surrounded this particular show. Kaylee Ray beating Tony Storm just before it was a, a big surprise at the time. So that was something. Joe Coffey versus Dave Mastiff. You know, uh, oh, yeah. the NXT UK tag title match was actually a very very good match. Uh, if I remember rightly, it's the big hometown win for Morgan and Andrews. Cesaro dragging off. I think that kind of got made pretty much on the, on the day off, which was good. And Noam Dar facing another guy who will not be fondly remembered in the history books. I'm sure that was a pre show match. No, no, it was on the main card. And that was the opener. Yeah. I think, I think Noam Dar did like a, an homage to Lionheart as well in that match because it was not long after Lionheart had passed. Absolutely. Shame that's nobody's gonna ever rewatch that match. It's just a shame. Lineup tribute was quite nice. You know. But yeah, an absolute cracker to kinda of end on this note. Now, here's one for you guys to kinda of finish off the show. We've obviously talked about all four matches. I know we don't watch tapes anymore, but just 
I'm going to use the analogy. You have to have all four of these matches on a tape. You have to have your least favourite on first and your favourite on last. So essentially go one, two, three, four. How would you do it? Uh, Scott, I'll go to you. Where would you go? Okay, we're starting with Hogan and Warrior. If it had to go Hey, uh, start with uh, then. I think I don't not saying that saying that I hate saying it's like one of my least favorite, but I think it's a toss up between these two. So I'm gonna say after Warrior Hogan we go, a uh, Larkin and Burks versus Undisputed Era. You know something more fast paced to wake you back up after you've almost fell asleep watching Hogan Warrior. Then a more story driven match with Bay and and uh, Walter, but I think. Because I've watched it so many times, the end my favourite probably is the triple threat from Unbreakable. Yeah. Uh, Dave, what would you go? I'd start with Hogan Warrior, obviously. Then I would actually put the, the Unbreakable triple threat next. Uh-huh. Because if you're putting it on a tape and you're watching each one uh, in that order, I like, I, I like the idea of the peaks and troughs approach when it comes to watching a match card. So, obviously, Hogan and Warrior, you basically get shot on at the start, and then you're picked straight back up with the biggest climb you could ask for with the unbreakable triple threat. Then you're brought back down to Earth slightly a little bit just to sort of calm your beans with the, the tag team match, Undisputed Era versus Lorcan and Birch, and I'd actually finish with Walter Tyler Bate because I remember watching that back, and I thought, this was ten times better than then dare I say it, it's 10 times better than I think it deserved to be. Like both these guys just delivered a perfect match from start to finish. Crowd involvement was rife. And you know what UK fans are like um, at live events and shows and stuff. Like they're always invested in the match and they, they just add a new dynamic to it. So that's, I'd made event with Walter Tyler Bate. I know I kind of said I said you go worst a lot to best, but I'm not going to do that. I just I just I like how you guys have said the structure of the tape better, so I'm going to go with that. Uh, I would start with the unbreakable four way because I think it's just an absolute banger. It would get you really pumped to watch the rest of them. Then you can't put Hogan and Warrior on too late enough because you would just be you would just want to chuck the tape out. <laughs> you just don't really want that. So I then go Hogan Warrior and then then I would do the tag match and I would finish with Bait Walter. I would say. Yeah, I'll go with that. I, I, I need to do it. Yeah, you need to do the I, I think maybe it's maybe risky going Warrior, putting the Warrior one on first because then you maybe, maybe think is there going to be more shit ones in here? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah, good one and then you're kind of like, right, cool. Down one, I can go... Uh, you can watch the good one, and then you can go for the shite or something like that, and not have to pause the tape. <laughs> so somebody who's new to wrestling puts your version of the tape and Stephen goes, watches the first match, goes, well, wrestling's great, and then second match happens, oh, not always. <laughs> you have to... A dose of reality always helps, you know. You can't just say... Uh, yeah. ah, people need to know that there was a grim three-year period of WCW. <laughs> Nobody really cares about reality. That's why we watch wrestling. We watch these grown men bat each other in their pants to forget about reality. 
I mean, if you talk about putting the Hogan Warrior thing into a tape, I mean, you could do the four matches of WCW's downfall. You could be Hogan Sting, Hogan Warrior, Hogan Jarrett, and Vampiro Sting. <laughs> Human Torch match. <laughs> not, um, not Billy Kidman Disco Inferno. I've never actually watched that match between Billy Kidman and Disco Inferno. I just know it's Disco Inferno's involved. Can't do that good. Uh, yeah, Hogan Jarrett wasn't even a match. It was a. It was. <sighs> It's more like an angle than anything. We want to talk about matches. That might future not hurt the one. A future one, I might just pick out a Jarrett match to turn on Scott. <laughs> oh, I mean, in the future, I might pick a Jarrett match because I have one Jarrett match that I actually like, and it's not even a TNA one. Uh, I mean, there's a Jarrett match I really like, and it might actually be the same one. Is that where the next one's just going to suddenly be? You're just going to say, oh, it's the best of Jarrett. <laughs> yeah. You know, we could pick, his ma- we could pick him, versus him, and, what's his, him and Jay Lethal versus Andrade and Ric Flair. Because <laughs> every, ma- every edition of the wrestling next team needs something akin to Hogan Warriors. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah. That's interesting. So, the four matches in this, in this first edition of this, we've got... Uh, Tyler Bate versus Walter, or Gunter. We've got Undisputed Era versus Larkin and Much. We've got Styles versus Joe versus Daniels, and we've got Hogan versus Warrior Two. What would be on your what? What's your thoughts on this wrestling mixtape? How would you order it? You know, what matches would you like to tape over? You know, what ones aren't going to make it onto the dodgy USB stick? Please let us know. On social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Suplex Retweet. If this is your first time listening to it because you're a fan of this type of show, hit the subscribe button. So much content on the platform. As I mentioned earlier on, ESSR Central is our news show, which we do every week or so. It's usually hosted by Scott's brother, Ross. But he's still fecked off to Turkey, is Scott? So you'll be hosting this week's. Yes, it's a little... Uh, he will be joining me again. And, uh, you know, all things scheduling permitting, Chris Anthony Lopez will be with us as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll be there to give a first account review of Clash at the Castle. And we'll round it off, round it off by calling CM Punk a cunt. Yes, he is. Oh, God. I can't remember. Uh, I know he, he's, he's already bought his own I can't remember well, if, Chris, so. if Chris went to Ireland. I'm not sure if he went. I know it's in his local area, so I'm not 100% sure if he was there. I mean, he lives in Chicago. You could just open the window, you could probably hear him. You could hear CM Punk's rant, you know. You know, the next... The, uh, the, we've also got Saturday Draft Live, where you can ask any of our uh, panellists, have they ever done improv? Most of them will say no, because they're not funny. Uh, <laughs> You're still? Uh, I believe it is... Who's hosting this week, lads? Who's on that? I think it's uh, Jack and, and Ryan. Definitely never had done any improv they do. <laughs> Definitely not coming to the end. But yeah, that's obviously our weekly uh, draft show, so you can find out about that one. Uh, I mentioned it to some people in Cardiff, and they liked the sound of it, so the Listeners League may grow next season. You'll be pleased to to hear. Or not. (laughs) That's the only reason you secretly went to Cardiff, isn't it? I did some good PR. I tried to do some PR for the podcast. I tried to say how good things were. Dave was more interested in taking pictures with title belts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but again, hey, I might not get another chance, so you might as well. 
Tell you what, it's a damn shame that John Isherwood couldn't have been on this week's uh, ESSR Central. I've never seen a man look like he's having so much fun in my life. He looked like he was having a great thing. Mm, yeah, I agree. Like he was buzzing the whole the whole day. So yeah, this week's Central will be all mostly about the reviews of the, next, the big shows. The week after Central, we'll have, we want a full review of Ross jumping off the boat in Turkey. <laughs> Nothing else. Just want to hear about him jump off the boat. But yeah, I digress, you know. Uh, and of course, feature shows usually every week. Hopefully, we start getting back into doing them all weekly. Uh, coming up in the next few weeks, we've got some debut shows. Actually, we've got the first ever. It's still real to me. Where we look back on either like a wrestling documentary episode or a wrestling book or such something like that, which could be interesting. CM Punk in any documentaries could be quite topical. He's got his uh, best in the world documentary. I think it mm-hmm. came out around the time he was midway through his his WWE like record setting title run. That's a lot of interesting stuff coming out about that. Uh, and we've also got the bookets coming back onto the audio version, which is good. And we've got a debating chamber coming up, which is good. So please keep an eye out for us. Yes, as our feature, some great shows coming up in the next few weeks. But from the guys here on the first ever wrestling mixtape, I'd like to thank uh, Scott. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. And to Dave, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yep. I've been Steve Wilson, and we will see you next time. Ta-da!